Uh, it's a joy to be with you guys and everyone online. Uh, it's, it's, I have like the incredible privilege of watching a, a good friend, an incredible pastor, um, step out of this church to fulfill a calling. And I have another really good friend who's, who's stepping in to this church to fulfill a calling. So I have like this unique seat to see this transition moment for you as a church, uh, which I, I really hope that you understand there's something significant going on. And I want to say this, uh, there are very few leaders and pastors in the world who live with such conviction and integrity like John Mark Comer. And I, I have been following him for many years. We've been friends for a long time, and I'm grateful for the pastor that you have um, had over the last several years. And I'm, I'm really excited for Tyler, too, because Tyler's a great friend. He's also a man of integrity and conviction, and you're lucky to have them as leaders. So honor them and bless them, pray for them. Um, I know it's been a hard season, um, and in Southern California, the only thing we have going for us is the weather, which is great, um, but other than that, there's a lot of struggle right now, um, as you can imagine, but uh, I'm glad to be with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue the series, and then uh, we'll, just, we'll just share some stories, and then we'll pray together, and you guys can go get coffee or kombucha, whatever else you have here, um, quinoa bowls, I don't know. Get some tofu and vegan food up there. Just kidding. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Cleveland, Ohio at a church. And uh, one morning, I woke up to go find breakfast. And I was walking in downtown Cleveland. I'd never been there before. And uh, I saw this man in the middle of the street yelling at the top of his lungs. And clearly, he was struggling with mental illness and addiction. And he was uh, living on the streets. You could tell. And he, he kind of walked right by me. I was waiting for the light to cross the street. And he just pauses and he becomes immediately sober. And he's like, you're not from here. I'm like, no, I'm from Long Beach in California. And he just comes and like stands next to me. And he's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to find breakfast. So we end up walking for about half an hour. And, and we end up having breakfast together. And he just starts telling me his whole story. He has no idea I'm a pastor. has no idea I'm from what I'm doing in Cleveland. And he just opens up his story. And um, I just keep asking questions, and he tells me this terrible, tragic story of becoming addicted at 12 years old, living on the street since he was 16. He's 44 years old, and telling me the process of each stage. And at one point when we're eating food, he says, I know Jesus. I didn't bring Jesus up. He just declares, I know Jesus. And, And he says, and I know the church. I used to go to church. And then he says, the church couldn't heal my pain. And when I couldn't change my behavior, they judged me for it, and I left. And that broke my heart, and it stuck with me, and I share this story with you because I want you to hear of the pain that we all see every day, and it's easy to drive by, but we are here as church. We are the church, and we are here to continue the ministry of Jesus today. And I want you to become the kind of church, and I know that you are, but I want you to become the kind of church that can heal the real wounds that people are suffering with in all walks of life and all over the place. Are you with me, church? So today we're going to talk about what John Wimber calls doing the stuff, or to make it easier for some of you, because that doesn't make sense quite yet, you will at the end, demonstrating the kingdom of God. Um, 
And so we're gonna talk about demonstrating the kingdom of God in ordinary ways. When describing the kind of environment that we are living in, in the 19th century, Leslie Newbegin, the great missiologist, wrote this in his observation of the Western world. He says, what we have is a pagan society whose public life is ruled by beliefs which are false. And because it's not a pre-Christian paganism, but a paganism born out of the rejection of Christianity, it is far tougher and more resistant to the gospel that the pre-Christian paganism with which foreign missionaries have been in contact during the past 200 years. Here, without possibility of question, is the most challenging missionary frontier of our time. Bridgetown, you are tasked with a mission of trying to reach people who are far from God because they have rejected a version of Christianity they have been presented. And as we talk about preaching the gospel like we have been for the the last several weeks, I can't help but make one observation of what I see. We live in a moment in history where more people have access to the gospel and the scripture and great Christian resources than ever before in any other time. We have conferences, Instagram accounts, YouTube shows, live streams. We're watching this on live stream. TikTok, worship albums are dropped every single week, it seems like. Podcasts, books, devotionals, Bible apps where you can hold down the word and it will bring all the commentaries from everything ever written in the history of humanity on that word. It's available. Never in history have we had more access to great Christian resource, making the gospel accessible. Yet, at the same time, in the Western world, we have more depression, more anxiety, more addiction, more suicide, and every new generation is leaving the church in unprecedented numbers than the generation before. What's going on? It kind of reminds me of a story I heard uh, from the Olympics in 2004. 2004, Matt Edmonds, the American rifle competition, he was competing in the three-position air rifle competition, and he was guaranteed gold in his last shot. All he had to do was hit the target anywhere, and he got gold, first place. So in his last shot, he held his breath, took his aim, bullseye. Looks back at the scoreboard, he goes from first place to eighth place. He had hit the bullseye on the wrong target. I can't help but think that the church today is hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. What are the solutions to the world? What are the solutions to the problem and all of the problems that the world is facing? I think it has something to do with the church getting the message and ministry of Jesus right. So if you have a Bible, let's, let's review this subject we're talking about. Mark chapter one, I got one Bible verse for you. Actually, it's kind of two, but we'll focus on one. Mark chapter one, verse 14 and 15. John Mark has already preached this. He's one of the greatest teachers alive, so I'm not gonna do anything that you haven't heard yet, but I'll bring some of my stories at the end. But I wanna review a little bit from my perspective the primary message of Jesus found in the gospel of Mark. This is Mark's shorthand. This is the teaching of Jesus. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So let me recap this 
one sentence, verse 15, um, where we have this beautiful, powerful message of Jesus that summarizes all of his teaching. So we're going to frame today in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Let's start with this phrase, the time has come. Because Jesus was referring to a very specific time that every single Jewish boy and girl that would have been listening in ancient Palestine at that moment, in first century Palestine, would have understood what he was referring to. It's like when my wife was 10 months pregnant and she woke me up in the middle of the night on November 18th, 2013, and she said, honey, it's time. I knew exactly what she meant at that moment. There was no question at all what she was referring to. It wasn't time for me to get up. She was pacing back and forth in our room in the middle of the night. It was time to grab the bag, be calm, a non-anxious presence, which I definitely was not, and drive to the hospital where she was helping me go through the exercises of breathing. It was amazing. But Jesus, when he says the time has come, he's referring to something that would have been electrifying. It was, it was built into the story of the Israelites because their, their story was defined by Exodus when God liberated the Israelites out of the oppressive military foreign superpower of Egypt. Sends Moses, sets them free, brings them to Mount Sinai where he creates a covenant with the people of God. And in Exodus 19, verse 5, he says to them, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a treasured nation or a holy nation. If you obey me fully, he gives them the law. And what happens? Well, if you read the Old Testament, you see they don't keep up their side of the deal. The Israelites don't obey God. This whole thing was built on obedience to the word and the Israelites failed to do that. So they eventually enter into the promised land after 40 years of wilderness. They secure their territory. They build a city. They build a temple. Eventually, out of disobedience, a foreign military superpower comes in, takes them captive, destroys the city, destroys the temple and sends them in exile. And it's there in exile that the Old Testament prophets begin to write about God acting in human history again. This decisive moment where Yahweh would bring about the freedom of God's people, but not just God's people. Anyone, anywhere who's experiencing injustice and oppression will experience this new exodus. And the Old Testament writers call it, they refer to this time as the age to come or the day of the Lord. And so if you read the Old Testament, you see Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, uh, Micah, Zechariah, Malachi, all talk about this new time, this age to come, this day of the Lord. And according to the scriptures, this new time will be marked by peace and joy and shalom and justice and healing and resurrection, new hearts and new spirits, the Holy Spirit falling on all God's people, all flesh experiencing the presence of God. And then it says that God's kingdom in Daniel will be established on earth above all other kingdoms. The Israelites come out of exile They rebuild the city, they rebuild the temple, and they're waiting for this epic moment, but it does not come. The Old Testament ends, and there's over 400 years of silence. It's not what they anticipated. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and said, honey, it's time. That's not what he says. He says, the time has come. (laughs) Like, what Bible is this? Passion Bible? I don't know what that is. (laughs) Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. You see, if you want to overly simplify the ministry of Jesus, it's simply this, preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. 
That's it. What was the message of Jesus? The kingdom of God has come near. What did he do? He demonstrated the reality of the kingdom of God. And so this is what we're invited into as followers of Jesus. You know this, Bridgetown. You've written or soon to have written the books all about what it means to be a disciple. You are someone who learns to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and what? Do what Jesus did. What did he do? He proclaimed and demonstrated the kingdom of God. How are we doing on that one? I thought so. I heard some amens online. I heard you. I feel it. I got you. What did Jesus mean by the kingdom of God? Well, again, this is all review. God's sovereign rule or sovereign reign. It's God, God's kingdom is the intersection of God's desire for life being manifested and experienced the way it was intended to be in the first place. The kingdom of God is the reversal of everything that went wrong when sin entered into the world. It's the restoration of the things, all things being restored to their original intent. You see, God's kingdom is a life that is reordered by God and it will be marked by healing and wholeness and justice and peace and forgiveness and freedom and grace and love and the Holy Spirit. I love what N.T. Wright says. He says this, when Jesus healed people, he intended it to be clear that this wasn't just a foretaste of a future reality. This was reality itself. This is what it looked like when God was in charge. God's kingdom was coming as he taught his followers to pray on earth as it is in heaven. You see, God's kingdom is what life would look like if God was in charge. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. Two boys, Ezra Lyon and Amos Wilde. And I, I respectfully regret naming him Wilde for lots of reasons. <laughs> I wish it was Amos listens to every word I say and obey. It's not what I got. I got the child of my words. But Amos was born, and going from one child to two is a totally different game. You're playing man-to-man -man defense. You were playing zone. Now it's man-to-man. -man. And my wife, bless her heart, like most moms, the early days, they do all the heavy lifting. I'm not going to lie. Like, I can do what I can, but at the end of the day, the moms are doing most of the work. God bless you, ladies, for all the work that you do, all the moms that are online throwing Cheerios at your kids. I see you. I hear you. I feel you. Rest is coming one day. I don't know when. But so I have, I have a four and seven. When Amos was born, he was four months old, and he, was, he did not take a bottle. And it got to that point where my wife, I could see it in her eyes, in her countenance, in her just overall experience. She needed a break. So I said, hey, baby, why don't you go out tonight, and I'll put both kids down for the first time. And before I could say, I'll put both kids down, she was already out the door. <laughs> Wrote a list down of like 17 points, a long list of how to put the kids down looking for the cues for Amos. So she took off. I, I had the list. I had it ready. I had the room ready to go. Amos's room was quiet, and the sound machine was already on. The lights were dimmed. I go into Ezra's room. I'm holding Amos, my four-month-old beautiful boy. I got Ezra. I know my wife's off on happy hour, crying her eyes out, or just getting rest, doing her nails, or something like that, <laughs> enjoying life. And I'm reading, no joke, I'm reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to Ezra, like a good Christian father, <laughs> Okay. It, and I, I remember it because it was, this, it was the story of let the little children come to Jesus, okay? It was that one. Just remember that as I tell the story, as the pastor preaching in a very unique pulpit. God, this is so great, John Mark. I know you designed this. But it's a funny thing. Tyler 
gave me a message that said I had to preach from the pulpit that was from Brooklyn. So I apologize to Tyler, but I'm honoring you, Joe Mark. Um, so uh, I see the cues in Amos. I said, hey, Ezra, you stay here. Um, play with Legos. I'll be back. I'll put you down in a second. I'm going to go to the other room. Pray for my soul as I put our boy down. Um, so I go into the other room, and I, I give him a bottle. He doesn't take bottles, and he immediately knows this is not the real deal. And so he begins to protest and begins to cry. So I'm doing this special bounce that you do. Every parent knows there is a specific bounce for each child. Doing the bounce, shut the lights off, turn up the sound machine. I get him in his swaddle. It's like one of those crazy swaddle things, and I'm like, okay, uh, he's not hungry, right? Clearly, he's not hungry. I go to put him down. He begins to scream loud. So now I take my phone out. I begin to text Alex all sorts of, this isn't going to work. You need to come home immediately. <laughs> green, 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 green. Text messages. She shut her phone off. That's when Amos or Ezra comes running in and all this tranquil nighttime routine gets interrupted by the bright light. I grab the door. I shut it. I begin to close it. No, let the little children come to me. Plays in my head. As I slam the door on accident on his foot, he begins to cry outside. A three-and-a-half-year-old boy is crying outside. Shut the door. This four-month-old boy is crying. I, I'm, like, I'm just going to get out. I shut the door behind me. I pick up my other crying boy, Ezra. I go in there. I go, you got to go to sleep. And he looks at me with tears in his eyes, and he says, life is hard without mommy. You see, I think at some level, things just worked out when she was there. When Jesus announces the kingdom, he knows what most people don't realize. Life's hard without God. And this is why the author of the New Testament, all the New Testament authors refer to the message of Jesus as what? Good news. Because in a world that's marked by death and chaos, anxiety and pain, suffering and sickness, bondage to sin, uh, influenced by the enemy, Satan, opposing God's way of life, Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, there's a new way of living here and now. And he says, this reality, the kingdom of God, has come near. You can grab it. You can touch it. That's one translation. It's ripe for the picking. Jesus didn't announce some philosophical, esoteric philosophy that zaps us out of here when, uh, you know, when God wants to come decisively or, or frees us from this place when we die. He comes announcing and demonstrating the reality of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. And he Wright says in Simply Jesus, justice and peace are about putting things right in the world. But from whatever angle you look at Jesus, he was concerned not just with outward structures, but with realities that would involve the entire person, the entire community. No point on putting the world right if the people are still broken. So broken people will be healed. And listen to what he says. He says paralytics, epileptics, demoniacs, people with horrible skin uh, diseases, a servant on the point of death, an old woman with a high fever, blind men, deaf men, mute men, a little girl who's technically already dead, an old woman with a persistent hemorrhage, and so on and so on. Matthew lets the list build up until we almost take it for granted. Yes, here's a person who's sick. Jesus will cure her. You see, the ministry of Jesus needs to be experienced. 
It was tangible. It was real. It was practical, and it had such significant implications if you read the Gospels. When Jesus healed the paralytic, it was a tan- there, was, there were tangible implications for this man's life and his family, and his community. When he touched the leper and he was cleansed, it meant the man could go back to his family. He could work with his hands. He could go to the temple and offer sacrifices to God. It had significant social, relational, emotional, mental implications. The kingdom of God is not something that we just study in our quiet time. It's not something that we practice by ourselves with Jesus. It's something we give away as a gift to the world. It's God's strategy to change the cosmos through his disciples. He's looking for individuals and communities who will become the kinds of people who did and do the things that Jesus did. Or in John Wimber's words, he's looking for the kinds of people who will just do the stuff. John 14, 12 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now let's just pause for a moment and reflect on this verse. Jesus invites his followers and he tells them, you will do the works I have been doing and greater things. Now, now there's a debate on the greater, okay? Does it mean more quantity or more quality? More quantity makes sense, Right? More quantity, there's millions, billions of followers of Jesus. That means more miracles can happen every single day. More access to things being done because it's just one Jesus. Now there's billions of of little Jesus followers. But it also could mean more quality of miracles. And so there's a big debate on the quality or quantity. Now, what you need to know in John's gospel is there's all sorts of quality miracles going on, right? So he turns water into wine, great party trick, love that one. Keep the party going. He uh, heals the blind. That's a pretty cool one. One thing he does is he raises the dead. Lazarus gets raised from the dead. That one's a pretty good miracle. Would you agree on the scale of quality of miraculous performances, someone who was dead and buried, who is now alive and taking off the, the clothes that they were wrapped in for their burial, that's a pretty good qualitative miracle. Not sure how you're going to top that one today. I don't know. Maybe you could come up with it in your own imagination. But would you agree with me? That's pretty good. So whether it's quantity or quality, what we do know is it's not least than Jesus. It's equal to the ministry of Jesus. As you begin to realize the implications of the scriptures for your ordinary life, you realize there's a lot more we get to participate in. We teach this stuff at our church, and just, I think it was two weeks ago, we shared a testimony. I had two house church pastors share a story of what happened the week before. A guy named Jordan and Tyler in our church, they lead a community, um, and they were walking Uh, They were driving home. I'm sorry, Jordan was driving home. Tyler was already there. He pulls over to get gas. Tyler happened to be there talking to a man who was living on the streets. And so Jordan goes into the gas station after talking to this guy going, I want to give you some food. So he goes in there and they're just picking out all sorts of stuff. And they notice that the guy can't hold the water and the chips and the sandwich and the food that they're getting this guy. Something's going on with his arm. They ask him what's going on. And he he pulls off his jacket and his right arm, one of his arms is, is like, Uh, swollen to the point where he can't move it uh, versus the other hand. And so they they say, hey, why don't we pray for you? So they begin to pray. First prayer, not much happens. Second prayer, they hear this pop. And the swelling goes down. And the guy freaks out. They freak out. (laughs) It's so 
It's healed in prayer to the point where Tyler begins to arm wrestle the guy to prove that it was healed. This is what I love about the story. I asked Jordan, how many times have you prayed for healing on the streets? He said, hundreds. How many have gotten healed? A couple. But here's a story that he shared from the week before because I challenge everyone to to serve people quietly. And in the midst of an act of compassion, he had the audacity to pray for healing and God met this man in the healing. And I love these stories. I think I shared this story. When When I began to realize that God wanted to use me in ordinary ways to bring about his kingdom, I began to take risks. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I began, to, I, I began to filter my life through the lens of love, right? The way we operate in the world, whether it's an act of generosity, where it's an, a generous tip of 30% or 50% or 100%, whether it's stopping over to fill someone's gas. We were doing this thing during COVID because we didn't have a lot of interaction with people. Every time we filled up our gas tank, we looked to fill up someone else's gas tank. We're just looking for ways to share God's love. We, we started praying for people as we went about ordinary life. Uh, one of my first real stories of success, I'm gonna share that one, is I was at a laundromat. I think I shared this story in 2015 at this church, so most of you probably weren't there. Um, uh, I was at a laundromat. We were doing something called Laundry Love, and I had two friends that were new to their faith. They were sharing their testimony with this woman who we were doing laundry, her laundry, and she was an atheist, angry. And we were, we were having this nice conversation. We just said, hey, before we leave, we're so glad to bless you with you know, free laundry. Can we just pray for you or pray for something? She's like, yeah, pray for my daughter. She's always getting into trouble. So I let these guys pray. They're new to praying for people that are strangers. And then as we're praying, I hear this thing in my head. Now, at the time, I didn't know about words of knowledge. I didn't know it was a word of knowledge. Still to this day, I don't always know. Half the time, I'm uh, more than half the time, my batting average is really bad. It's like 90% wrong. But here's what happens. I hear this phrase, I hear this idea, this idea pops into my head. Something happened to her when she was a little girl, and nobody believed it, and it ruined her life. How do you say that to a stranger? Well, I don't know. So I, I just, hey, we finished praying, and I'm like, hey, this is super weird. I don't know if this makes sense to you, and it could be wrong. Just tell me if it doesn't resonate at all. But I had this thing when I was praying. I had this sense that something happened to you when you were a little girl, and nobody believed it. And it ruined, before I could say it ruined your, your life, she began to weep. How did you know? And in a moment of clear revelation from God, because I would never be this smart, <laughs> I said, I didn't know. Jesus knows, and he wants to know you. She, we began to pray and minister to what was traumatic childhood trauma. God began to unlock that wound, and she gave her life to Jesus in that moment and joined our church and joined a house church or a community group at the time. All because we gave out some free laundry, we decided to pray for a stranger, and God put this weird idea in my head, and I didn't know what it was, but I was willing to risk failure to share God's love, and God revealed himself to this woman who was an atheist at the time. This is doing the stuff. Now, let me share one more story before we keep going, because I want you to, I want you to hear how, how often I get it wrong, because it's not fair to hear the good stories. You got to hear the, you know, the, for every highlight reel, there's a lot of bloopers. So here's one blooper. I was at Ralph's. Ezra was like one years old, or like less than that, because I'm pushing him in a stroller. Alex was pushing him in a stroller. My wife's Alex. We're getting groceries. We walk there, and I see this woman who's pregnant, clearly pregnant. I don't ever prophesy that, by the way, and I don't ever talk about it, because I've also gotten that one wrong, um, as far as you're pregnant and you're not. Um, big mistake. Guys don't ever do that. Ladies don't ever do that. Um, so there I was. I walked up to her. I had this sense from the Lord. Hey, I just sensed like the Lord 
uh, like, I just sense, you know, like you're afraid to be a mom and it's your first time and, you know, God wants to heal a wound and I'm just, I'm just so confident in what I thought was right. And she just looks at me, she's like, no, I got lots of kids. This isn't my first kid. I'm not afraid to be a mom. I love being a mom. It was like opposite. And I was like, okay, great. I'm, I left through the cart, through the cart, text my wife, I'm outside. Something went terribly wrong. I'll see you at home. I'll never pray for anyone ever again, Jesus. Kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. It's why Jesus will tell these stories and then he'll say something like in Matthew chapter nine, whoever has ears, let them hear. He would tell these stories. It's like for those that have ears to hear, he'll say blessed. Have you ever had that experience where you tried to explain something to someone and eventually you just had to say you had to be there? Like Disneyland, Rise of the Resistance ride. Anyone here? Like, if I tried to explain it to you guys, you'll think I'm trying to describe something. It doesn't make It's You have to experience what is life-changing. It's like, this is the point in the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is getting at. The kingdom of God is like trying to, des- to describe a song to someone that's never heard the song. Like, I could put up the slides and say, okay, let's read the lyrics. Let's look at the cold, uh, chord charts, and we could get really technical about the genre and, and you know, the history and the, the, the intention of the lyrics. But at some point, you just got to hear the music. Am I right? I'm going to demonstrate this. Uh, we're going to do an audience participation. And if you're live streaming it, check this out. They're going to put up a slide for you to listen to um, this song. Don't listen to the song yet. Wait until we're done with this part. I'll read what the volunteers say. So can I get two volunteers? I have Casey. Is that right, Casey? Casey, would you raise your hand if you want to volunteer? We got one right here. Would you give a clipboard here? You can pass it out. And we need one more, and I'm going to give you your instructions. One more from this side of the audience or the congregation. There we go, up front. Casey, there's one more here. Okay, you listen before she gives So they're going to get a clipboard, and they're going to get a song. They're going to, you're going to listen to the song and just go ahead. You can give it right here. And you're going to describe the song in your own words to us. Do your best. Um, Jude, write very clear English, okay? I need to make sure I can read your writing. Same to you. Don't tell anyone the song. Just write it down. And in a few minutes, we're going to come back after you guys are going to miss the next like five minutes of my teaching. That's fine. Um, you can go back and live stream or you can listen to the podcast. But I want you, yeah, you got to get those ready. Go ahead, push play, listen to the song, write it down, describe it to us in our own, in your own words, and then we'll get back. All right, let's keep going. You have to experience it for yourself. And I want to tell you something. This is why I'm here. I'm here because I've experienced Jesus. Jesus has transformed my life. He's not only saved my life, he has given me hope when I lived in despair. He's, ta- he's, he's taken away addictions and self-hatred. He's given me a new identity. He's given me a new mindset. He's transformed the way I see myself and the way I see other people. He's repaired broken parts of my marriage that were hurt early on into our relationship. He's helped me reconcile with those people who have hurt me and caused devastating wounds in my life. He's given me peace when I live with anxiety and he's given me joy when I lived in seasons of depression. I can talk about all these experiences that I had. I can go on to tell you about this time I was in London and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. At 22 years old, I had grown up in the church. I had never experienced the presence of God in such a tangible way. I can tell you about that time I was in prayer and I was ambushed by what I would call the fiery love of the Father. So when I hear Bethany read the prodigal son story, I get overwhelmed by that story because I know what it's like. 
to feel like all you have are excuses. And before you can get the excuse out, I just want to be a slave in your household. He wraps his arms around you. And he, in the Greek tense is he can't stop kissing you. I can tell you about the time I watched a man in India here for the first time because he was deaf. I can tell you about the time that a woman was delivered from a demon in India and she began to see for the first time after she was delivered from an evil spirit. I can tell you about the time my friend was laying on the floor weeping hysterically, praying in tongues for the first time which he had never seen or heard tongues prayed out loud in any context as God began to heal the traumatic wounds of the father wound that he had when his father abandoned him. I can tell you about the time I tore two ligaments in my ankle and the doctor said, you won't be able to walk a 5K in five months, let, a run, let alone run that marathon you signed up for. And two weeks later, the day after Easter, when I preached with the cast, a woman prayed for me and I woke up and it was completely healed. On that Tuesday, I went to the doctor's office. She said, what happened? She brought her whole office in and she said, this is the power of the resurrection today. And I ran a full marathon when they said I couldn't run, walk a 5K. I can tell you about the word of knowledge that brought breakthrough to my wife when she was in severe postpartum depression when a man and a woman drove an hour every time every week to pray for her in her severe depression I can tell you about the extravagant generosity that I've experienced from the community of God I can tell you about the sacrificial gifts people have given my family to to hold us up when we lacked faith when we needed help but at some point at some point you have to get it for yourself you have to listen to the music you have to experience this for yourself because if you read the Gospels, if you talk about proclaiming the kingdom, then you have to understand it's about demonstrating the kingdom of God. God's experience is so transformative. When you read the Gospels, you see God's kingdom comes and sick people experience healing, blind people receive sight, religious people experience spiritual awakening, the outsider, they're included, sinners are forgiven, broken people experience wholeness, the exhausted find rest, the oppressed are liberated, spiritually in prison are set free anxious people find peace and what we see over and over again is Jesus wants to invite you into a life not convert you to religion it's why this same verse Mark chapter 1 verse 15 we get the whole ministry of Jesus the time has come the kingdom of God has come near you can experience it for yourself and then he says repent and believe and what we've done to this phrase is we've tried to make it about having a religious conversion. Repentance means to change one's mind in the Greek. Belief is about, it's not about getting the facts right. It's not static. Belief is dynamic. Belief is living, participating, standing in the reality of what you come to know and believe as true. When these words come together in first century context, it wasn't a challenge to stop sinning, although that's part of it. Jesus uses repent and believe. It was a call for revolution. The Jewish historian in 66 AD went around um, Galilee working with the Roman Empire to persuade Jewish revolutionaries to align themselves to this Roman Empire vision. And this is straight from um, N.T. Wright's The Challenge of Jesus. He says this, he quotes this. He says, Josephus, his task as he describes it in his autobiography, was to persuade the hot-headed Galileans to stop their mad rush into revolt against Rome and to trust him and the other Jerusalem aristocrats to work out a better modus vivendi. 
So when he confronted the rebel leaders, he says that he told him to give up his own agenda and to trust him, Josephus, instead. And the word he uses are remarkably familiar to the readers of the Gospels. He told the brigand leader to repent and believe in him. It's the same phrase that Jesus uses in the Gospels. Josephus was not telling the Jewish rebel to give up sinning and have a religious conversion. Josephus was giving these radicals and rebels, uh, asking them to give up their nationalistic vision of war and trust him in this new way. So Jesus invites repentant belief. He invites his followers to give up their way of doing life and trust him where they are for life, to let go of how you think the world really works and learn a new way a new reality, and enter into the world with a revolution that he's bringing, and his revolution doesn't operate like the world. He says the first will be last and the last will be first. He'll say that the greatest will be the least. The greatest will be the servant. He says the kingdom's like a mustard seed. The kingdom is like good soil that produces a harvest a hundred times as much. The kingdom is for the least of these, whatever you do for the least of these. And then he says some of you are gonna get it, and some of you aren't. It's for those that have ears to hear. And eyes to see. It's kind of like describing a song to someone who's never heard the song. Let's, let's do it. Jeter, are you done? Yeah. All right, would you hand me that clipboard? Okay, so will you grab the clipboard? You, I need like one. one minute. Okay, all right, you give me yours, Jude, and we'll just show you how this works out. We'll see if this works. Um, it could just flop miserably, and everyone online, I'm sorry that you had to suffer through this, and everyone here, I don't feel bad because it's fun anyways. I'm going to do it, um, <laughs> but let's just see if this makes sense. So um, we'll play the song in a second, but I want to see if this makes sense. So as you hear the words, tell me if you, you can, I want you to name the song, okay? So this is Jude. It's like falling water and people marching. This is great. While uh, an angel sings. You guys know the song yet? It feels like Tinkerbell uh, made a song. I can't read that word, it's okay. It feels like falling upwards through a tunnel into heaven. Oh, so good, bro. That was excellent. That's one of the best descriptions I've had. Lots of pressure for you, young lady. Um, good luck. Well, I want to see yours. Give me yours. We'll give it now. So uh, do you guys know what I'm talking Do you know what song it is? You were listening at home. You haven't heard it, but uh, uh, you'll hear it in a second. So here's, here's her, uh, this description. Keys, ambient vocals. A metronome clock. It, it has a low fi vibe. <laughs> Different language. Good. Similar to sleeping at last. Grows with percussion. I had one, one time I did this and the person said, there's a moment where it feels like electric rain. You guys see it? Are you with me? You guys there? Why don't we play the song? And then I'll read some of this. Can we put the song on? So if you're at home, there's a link. Push play, open up your phone, and let's listen to the song. Oh, kingdom of God is a reality to be experienced. Keys, a metronome clock. It's like Tinkerbell. It's like falling water and people marching while an angel sings. Hear the angel? Isn't that funny? You keep listening, I'm gonna talk. Isn't it funny, like all of a sudden the words that we read all of a sudden make sense in a new way? Oh, there's that other language. 
I see you. Lo-fi vibe, I'm in. Metronome clock, ambient music. It feels like Tinkerbell. It feels like you're falling upwards. Keep the song on for a bit, if that's okay. Through a tunnel into heaven. I'm gonna keep going. We'll have this on in the back. I know that's strange, but let's just go for it. You do this anyways. You're probably watching a show and uh, social media, texting, emails. So you're used to multitasking. So you see the gospel that Jesus preaches and demonstrates is like a song that you hear in your house. You didn't, you, you first don't know where it's coming from. And so you begin to move things in your home. You begin to search for the song, the sound that doesn't make sense. And then all of a sudden, as you move the, uh, the sofa, as you take the, the, the picture off the wall, the sound gets louder and louder and louder. The tables rearrange, the things come off the wall. Eventually you open up the windows, you open up the door and you begin to let everyone hear the music that has now transformed your home. And your life, and you look back years later and you realize your entire life was turned upside down by the song. It's about hearing the music. You hear it building up? Does it feel like you're walking through a tunnel towards heaven right now? Let's put it up a little bit. Let's hear it together. People marching, similar to sleeping at last. Has anyone heard sleeping at last? Does it seem a little similar to sleeping at last? Keys, ambient, vocals. The early Christian church in the New Testament talked about what they had experienced. If you read 1 John, what we seen with our eyes, what we touched with our hands, what we heard with our ears. The church was on fire for Jesus. They were obsessed with him. They lived radical lives, not because it was convenient or comfortable or because um, they had a cool website or a celebrity pastor or a good podcast. They lived radically different lives because of what they experienced. Jesus turned them upside down. And I'm afraid what's happened today is we've made Jesus about pointing out the lyrics, showing them the chord charts, trying to convince them of something that you know and you haven't yet let experience, let cultivate, let marinate into your life. And we make Jesus into our own image, don't we? We make Jesus comfortable and safe for the whole family. We make Jesus interested in our hobbies. We make Jesus into the Enneagram type we have, the Myers-Briggs type, the stage of life type. So we excuse the cross, we excuse the mission, and we focus in our real ministry, the real kingdom, our career, or our family, or our dreams, rather than recognizing, he says, if you want life, you have to pick up your cross. You have to lay down. And instead, we've baptized Jesus, we've baptized the kingdom into the culture. All the while, people are standing on the outside in the middle of the street saying, when I couldn't change my behavior, they judged me for it. We've become passive to the world. We've become passive to the world around us. And all the while, the world around us is being transformed by the kingdom of darkness. Rob Reimer says we must demonstrate the message the king of heaven has power to overcome evil and all its effects. Just like the early church. Let's put this up for a second. I want you to catch this part. Do you hear the drumbeat increasing? Just keep it right there. I'll keep reading this in a moment. I want you to hear and feel electric rain. We must operate in, power, in the power of God that releases those in bondage that heals the brokenhearted, that frees people from the power of the enemy. Do you hear it? How many of you hear the electric rain? The question I have for you today is simply this. 
How will you, you can shut that off, demonstrate the kingdom of God? Nowhere in the New Testament do you see a proclamation without a demonstration in the life of Jesus. How will you do this stuff? How can we, how do we do the ministry of Jesus today? Jesus gives us a clear answer in the Gospel of Luke. And we're almost coming to a land, so I know that you guys preach for like two hours here, which is great. And I love you for it. Whether you know this or not, I, I ask John Mark for all of his notes pretty much all the time, and he just generously sends them to me without question. I don't ever necessarily, I preach a ton of his sermons, and I always give him credit for it, but uh, I just have them as a library, so, because he writes the best sermon notes ever in the history of any sermon notes that I know, it's like literally word for word, it, it, it will say seem here, joke, insert here, and it's so great. <laughs> that's, that's not true, it doesn't say that. Acts 1 verse 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the author of Acts is the gospel writer of Luke. His name's Luke. And he writes um, a two-part work. So season one is the gospel of Luke. Season two is Acts. And gospel of Luke in a nutshell is the life, ministry, and mission of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the life, ministry, and mission of Jesus by the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says to the church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be his witnesses, to be his, um, the word is martyr, martyria. I'm sorry, martyria. It's where we get the word martyr. You will be someone who, whose life brings testimony to the resurrection of Christ, whose life naturally points to the reality of the kingdom of God. And so how do we do the ministry of Jesus? Well, the author, uh, Luke, wants you to know that the church, followers of Jesus, will do the things of Jesus the same way Jesus did the things of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. You will be filled with God's presence. And when his presence comes upon you, you will have power, the ability to do what you couldn't do without his presence. To do what? to fulfill this mission of renewing the cosmos, of discipling the nations, of preaching the gospel, of going to the ends of the earth, filled with the presence of God and the power to do it. Jesus wants to give you his spirit to transform your life, to empower you for his purposes. Simon Ponsonby in his book More says, when the Bible speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it is saying that one is consumed, taken over, impregnated, saturated, complete and replete with God's presence and power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else. The reason we're not doing the things of Jesus today is because we're filled with everything else. This is why Paul's writing in Ephesians chapter 5 Verse 18 is so profound. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, 
In, in first century context in Ephesus, in Roman culture, um, there, was no, there was no concept of moderation. So you have a bunch of pagans that become Christian and now they're learning how to be human again. And Paul will have to instruct them on how to behave in situations that they didn't know were wrong. Things were wrong. For example, they had things like symposiums, which were, were, were parties where people would get drunk and do all sorts of other activities. Because of that, they would eat, they would throw up, and they would drink some more. And Paul says, no, 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 as, as people who are now filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't do that. Don't be influenced by the way the world operates, by the cultural powers of today. Instead, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is your, and, and the present perfect tense is, is the word here for be filled. It means to keep on being filled. So he tells the church there's two ways to live in the world, being filled and consumed with things in the world, being influenced and under the influence of all sorts of things. Like if he were today, if he was here today, he might say, don't be, don't be consumed with social media that leads to competition. It leads to a self-obsession. It leads to a curated false identity. It leads to a, a, a depression and anxiety. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be obsessed with politics, which leads to power and control. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be obsessed with consumerism. Don't be obsessed with yourself. Don't be under the influence of the cultural narratives of today, which allow you to operate with you at the center of the universe. Instead, the countercultural thing for the church is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And when we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, ministry is activated. Or, to put it in John Wimber's words, that stuff gets done. <laughs> and this is the invitation. And this is why I'm here, to, to remind you of who you are as a church, to remind you of the things you've been called to as a community, to become the kind of community and continue to be the kind of community that recognizes that the Spirit of God fills ordinary pe uh, people and releases them on ministry in ordinary ways. And this is how we continue the ministry of Jesus today, to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate it wherever we go. When I was in Ohio a couple weeks ago, I, I went out early to stay with a friend named Ralph. And I met him a few uh, years at a, a men's retreat, and I stayed the night with him and his family, and he was leaving the next day uh, with his buddy Scott, who was competing in Madison, Wisconsin at the CrossFit Games. And I woke up that morning, I knew nothing about Scott other than he was a CrossFitter, and I, I, I wrote down this encouraging word for Scott, at least I thought it was encouraging for him. And I shared it with my friend Ralph, I said, hey Ralph, do you think this would encourage your friend, why don't you send it to him in a text? He said, no, 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 this is a... This is a powerful we should go meet him for lunch I'm like okay so there we were we met up for lunch and I'm sitting across what is clearly the fittest man in the world I've ever seen <laughs> eating loads of t uh, pokey um, and all sorts of other stuff I didn't know that you could consume at the same time and the three of us had lunch together and here I was a stranger sitting with him and I just I pulled out my phone I said hey I was praying this morning I had this word of encouragement maybe it resonates with you and I begin to share this idea and as I begin to share these things um, the Holy Spirit begins to minister to this man. This giant, strong, fit man begins to cry and weep because the Holy Spirit begins to minister to the pain that was clearly in this guy's heart. All sorts of things in the past to the point where he's crying and there's layers of this word coming out and layers of his journey that's coming out in this moment, this chance encounter. And he's, he's unloading the stuff and he's like, this feels like therapy. And I'm like, no, this is the presence of God. He's like, how do you do this? I'm like, this is what it means to be Christian. We've just lost the power today. 
God unlocks something inside of Scott, uncovers his fear. He wanted to announce that he was going to retire from, uh, from CrossFit, but he was so afraid of not standing on the podium that he didn't want to announce it, even though he knew it was the right thing to do. So God unlocks his fear about retiring. He, the Holy Spirit affirms his identity at this lunch. And then I go off and do my weekend, and Scott drives eight hours to Madison, Wisconsin, where he goes to compete in the CrossFit Games. But something happened to Scott along that journey. And if you look back at the CrossFit Games 2021, what you see, this happened just a couple of weeks ago. What you see is Scott was a changed man. I asked him, Scott, what happened at lunch? And he said, the Holy Spirit revealed my truest identity. That whole week, he was sharing his faith. He was talking about life, uh, retiring. CrossFit's doing a documentary with him. He's on a podcast talking about how he's afraid to announce it. But he realized, and I quote, he realized that the podium wasn't about being the fittest man on earth. It was about his faith and his family. And because he realized what he was working for, he was able to enjoy the ride the whole week. And as a testimony to an industry who wants to stand on platforms, he said to them, you're more than enough. Ordinary morning, extraordinary event, leads to breakthrough and unlocks one man's revelation of his identity and peace. You see, this is what happens when we listen to the Holy Spirit. I could tell you story after story, but at some point, you're just going to have to go for it. And I'm going to share one more because I feel like this is really important for you, and then we'll close in prayer. Is that okay, John Mark? He gave me the finger, this finger, and he said, good. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You're leaving, bro. (laughs) Tyler has to worry about whatever I do, right? Is that all right? Are we good? Some of you are leaving. That's fine. Um, I'm just trying to keep up with John Mark's time. It's 52. Here we go. Um, so when the Spirit, when you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, when you begin to surrender your lives to the Holy Spirit in ordinary ways, you become a powerful presence wherever you go. I was uh, a couple years ago, and I share this story because it has so many implications for church today. I was sitting in the front row about to preach the second sermon, and I got this number in my head, 1,200. I'm like, okay, that's weird. And it was like stuck in my head and it was unusual for something to block me. So I go up to preach after the worship set like this and I begin to read the Bible and begin to preach and I could not get 1,200 out of my head. I was stumbling over my words. I'm like, okay, God, maybe I have to stop. So I pause, I come to the side and say, hey, hey, church, would you just be quiet for a moment? Because you're obviously talking over me. They weren't. I feel like the Lord wants to do something. I might get it wrong. Can we just wait on the Lord? So as we pause this service, I'm like, I just want to pray. So I sat down and I just said, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? And I heard him say, there's a single mom here who needs $1,200, she's being evicted. She needs it for rent. I'm like, great, thank you for the specifics. Let's just get this out of the way. I'll fail, and then I'll get back to the real stuff. And I go, okay, this is super weird. I was saying, you know, I couldn't preach $1,200, but here's the word. I feel like there's a single mom here who has an eviction notice, and she needs $1,200 for rent. Is there anyone here? And this woman begins to cry, and she pulls out a white notice out of her purse and she's got four children sitting in the back row. It was her first time in our church. She, was, she came across the street from the motel and she has a $1,200 uh, rent due and she was evicted. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Wow, God, that's so insane that you would reveal yourself. You, you wanna reveal yourself to this woman, but that's not enough. So I said, hey, we're gonna pass the bucket a second time. Put as much cash as you have if you're here and you have cash and your rent's paid and you have everything. You just put it all in and we're gonna give it to this lady and she'll just go. We had a small service at the time. It was a second service. We were just starting it and exactly $1,200 was given to that woman. And then it was amazing. 
I was like, oh, isn't this what you see in the scriptures? When the spirit comes, generosity comes with it. In Acts 4, it says there's no need among them. And I'm like, what if we just started passing the bucket a second time? So we did. And so we started passing the bucket a second time every month. And we said, if you have cash and you want to put it in, if you're here, take it out. No questions asked. And so every, every month, people were coming. More people were coming to our church because this is the church that gives away money. And then COVID happened and it shut down and I was reminded of the story. And so now what we have is we have a separate bucket that we put on the stage and we say, hey, this is called the joy bucket. If you have all your needs met, put as much cash. If you're here and you need groceries or diapers or rent or if you need gas money, just take it out. We don't even count it. We don't even care. And it's always full. And when it empties, we just pull it up and say, it's, it's empty, fill it up. And we, just, it's, and we obviously have first fruits. We obviously do the program. We have all those things, but it's just one way where we recognize that there's, there's a spirit that, that is alive in the church that wants to empower generosity and healing, he wants to care for the single moms and all the things, and all the things. He wants us to do the stuff. So what happens is this, when you hear God's voice, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you recognize the kingdom is a reality to be um, experienced, to demonstrate what you realize is you live your life looking for opportunities to spread God's love. That will come with generosity, that will come with praying for the sick, it will, it will include outsiders, you will practice radical uh, uh, hospitality, you'll start delivering people of evil spirits, you'll start planting new churches and starting new businesses, all while God just releases you as a church to be a movement and a force to be reckoned with. So that's all I got for you. Will you be a church that operates in the power of the Holy Spirit?